Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me today. Now today, we speak to Joel Hoekstra. Now Joel's got to be one of the most talented and hard-working guitar players on the planet right now. In just the last six months or so, he's completed tracking the latest White Snake album. That's his regular gig alongside Red Beach on guitar, working for their boss David Coverdale. He's done a couple of sold-out Las Vegas runs with Cher and played a massive amount of shows with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra over the Christmas period. also worked with bands such as Foreigner. He had an extended run in Night Ranger, not only replacing Jeff Watson, but totally pulling off uh, Watson's eight-finger guitar style. Joel talks us through pit work, working in orchestra pits for musicals on and off Broadway, including the massive hit Rock of Ages, which not only saw Joel playing in the pit, but also on stage as part of the acting slash musical ensemble. Now amongst this incredible career as a sideman, Joel has also managed to release some fantastic solo albums. The track you're hearing now is called Homework from the 2000 album Undefined. Joel's latest solo release is Dying to Live under the name of Joel Hoekstra's 13. It's more of a hard rocking vocal type focus. It's part of a track called Anymore. go out to Joe Elliott. Now Joe was on episode number 40 of the podcast, a fantastic guitar player himself. And uh, my thanks go to Joe because he introduced me to Joel, which I really, really appreciate. Now I do need to let you know, the first three minutes or so of the interview, the audio was not awesome. The Wi-Fi connection with Joel wasn't great, but uh, he ended up relocating and we sorted it. So if you can bear with us for the first couple of minutes, uh, the audio definitely improves and it's worth it. Joel's such a humble and uh, friendly guy. It's so good to hear about his career and his take on many, many things. So let's just jump straight in. Here's my conversation with Joel Hoekstra. Joel Hoekstra, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh man, our great, great pleasure. I was going to say you look like you're having a really busy year, but I think that's just your story full stop by the looks of things. Uh, yeah, things take, I guess, the last uh, 10 years or so now, so I've been really busy. Yeah, it's a good thing. I like to, like to stay busy so I can keep moving forward. So I'm going to, I might just pick out a few things that I've, I've seen you up to recently, and I'd certainly love to talk about your most recent um, solo project as well, but recently you finished up some guitars on the latest White Snake album. Now, by my reckoning, is this the first... White Snake album of original material you have contributed to? 
Yeah, yeah. I joined the band. We were working on the Purple album, so um, you know, which are David's songs. So it's yeah. So now you know people call it a cover. I'm like, is it a cover? I don't know. We're gonna re-record things that he had written, so or co-written. But um, yeah, uh, this is the first one that's all entirely original, and so very excited about it. Yeah, awesome. I, I read on your Instagram you wrote that this album will be the the best representation of your playing to date. Now. Given your incredible solo albums and your other recorded output, that's a pretty big call. Can you explain a little bit more what you meant by that? Uh, I mean, I I felt like Dave really let me have a go at it. Uh, I felt like I, you know, have a lot of good good things on on the album, and um, yeah, I think you know, throughout the session, I was very psyched about it. So I think. You know, I like to play a lot of my solo albums, but it isn't necessarily uh, what the funk days in terms of, you know, the like Undefined was kind of more of a fusion uh, album or, you know, I don't even know what you call that album. It was, uh, but it was an instrumental guitar album, you know. uh, These days I've become much more of a blues and a band kind of thing. There's a solo in it, but I'm also much about the rhythm guitar. And uh, so. I felt like I got a lot of a lot of styles and a lot of uh, variety represented on the new White Snake, which I think is cool. I think that's a, a feather in the cap, not a, a one-dimensional view, and it all seems to work with the White style. So I'm psyched about that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. What's what's the process like in terms of writing? Do you get involved in writing, or are you turning up to play on songs? Yeah, uh, I had a hand in about half of the songs, and and. It's not, you know, songs aren't exactly what I would call mine because usually they start with David and Dave will need it to go somewhere. So you'll help him with where a song could go. Mm-hmm. Um, and he works really quickly and he's very creative and very fast, you know, and you're right. He'll have an idea. And if it's not what it's nothing he wants to, uh, that he heard, would he, uh, you know, I'll tell you right away, which I appreciate because this, uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to have somebody tell you, not really think. So he he's very skinny on it. So yeah, I mean I did hand in I, about half of the songs. Okay, that's good. But cool. we we have too much material for the record right now. I mean <laughs> there's we're gonna have to actually like I'd say about you know six songs too many. So we worked on a lot. So we'll we'll see what actually makes the record. All right, this is the point in which we decided the Wi-Fi connection wasn't really happening, so uh, we we reconnected, and uh, from here on, the audio is much better. Okay, back to the interview. All right, we'll jump back in then. So we we're talking about the um, the, the White Snake record. Um, yeah. I was asking about the writing process. So you were saying that you had co-written about half of the songs? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm in on about half of it, and some of it is just contributing like one of the riffs, and some of it's contributing all of the riffs. Uh, you know, with the with White Snake, pretty much all the vocal melodies and lyrics are going to be David's. Okay. Um. So okay. you know, you're 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 pretty much going to write like the riff end of things. Okay, that's cool. Now, Reb Beach has been in the uh, the band for a number of years as well. Tell me about working with Reb. Oh, Reb's great, man. I mean, very talented guy, super funny, great bandmate. Um, you know, we work really well together. This this whole lineup actually has been great. Uh, the the two tours that we've done and, and the two recording processes, the two records, uh, everybody's gotten along great. And that, that goes a long way. You know, there's there's no tension in the band, so that's all good. Yeah, awesome. It's going to be fun. And it's a huge year for Whitesnake being the, uh, the 30th anniversary 
of the 1987 record. So those tools must be going off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, for me, it's it's more about like what's happening now, obviously. But sure. I think that's awesome because it raises awareness of the band and everything, and and that's fantastic. That's cool. Well, I'm super excited about the new record for sure. When um, when is that expected to be released? Uh, I don't know if there's anything set in stone per se, but I had I think David had mentioned probably spring of 2018. Okay, cool, awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. That's fantastic. Um, another another one of your many like you you must be the hardest working guitar player in showpiece right now, I reckon. Another one of your um, fairly long standing gigs is the Trans Siberian Orchestra, which looks like that must be a such a fun gig to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's something I'm in my eighth year on now. Mm -hmm. Right about to uh, set off for rehearsals fairly soon for the for the winter tour and uh so yeah very very excited about that great bunch of guys you know over the years i've just got to be good friends with everybody in the band and so it's it's just special it's kind of become a tradition for me as well as many of the fans that come to the show you guys are super busy in that period i, I was counting up you've got something like 54 shows in six weeks you're doing plenty of those like matinee and then evening shows so you're often doubling up on the yeah. same night yeah exactly there's lots of two show a day uh, -huh. uh moments happening usually you do eight a week is the the typical tso okay. work week so it's you know i call it the marines of rock it's <laughs> definitely not hard you have to be really ready to work super hard yeah uh but i i actually kind of get addicted to it you know it's like i said i've been doing this for a while now so i'm a glutton for punishment i guess you know <laughs> i just i i you know, when I'm out with a normal band playing three, four shows a week, I get antsy. You know, like, aren't we going to do any two show days? And, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's really hard work, but it's also very rewarding. I like the gig a lot. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, the great, great arrangements of those epic uh, Christmas tunes and, and other stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. What sort of rig will you take out for that tour? That is just totally, you know, running direct. That's like a, a fractal Axe FX two, I think, is the, the okay. unit that I've been using, and uh, and really that's about it. And then I use a bunch of guitars because it's very heavy on the visual thing. Yeah. So um, it, it's just kind of fun for me to be able to swap out, and uh, because we're running direct on a lot of stuff, I'll I'll use uh, the Fernandez sustainer on a lot of guitars oh, okay. uh, to emulate feedback and the kind of the kind of cycle of, of overtones that you would normally get yeah sure if you're standing near your amp cool how, how does that differ say from your white snake rig then so when you when you're touring with those guys uh it's totally different i mean with white snake we're doing the old school like loud amps on stage yeah. i've been using the friedman b100s on that uh although on the record i used a bunch of stuff i used uh a marshall uh, modded jcm 800 the Friedman B100. Um, I used the a new head from Victory okay. that came out. I figured the model number escapes me right now because it was brand new. Nice. And, yeah, uh, Metza Barba. I've been using those, and uh, so you know we toyed around with a lot of amps and, and got a bunch of different tones. And yeah. then to compensate and keep it consistent, I really just used one guitar for about ninety five percent of the album. So okay, uh, I used my my gold top on almost the whole thing. Ah, that, that's your classic. How long have you had that guitar for? Uh, I think I got it back in right about like 2004, I want to say, something like that. So yeah. it's been with me a while, 2005 maybe. Yeah, cool. Have you done any mods on that or is it pretty much stock? 
uh, very close to stock. I mean, the tuners have been swapped out a couple of times. Uh, the, the stop tailpiece has been swapped out a couple of times because mm-hmm. it'll wear a, a groove into it. And, uh, it's been refretted recently. But, you know, in terms of pickups and stuff like that and, and, and frets, it's kind of – I do always just like to keep it as close to stock as possible. If a, if a guitar doesn't work, if you don't like it, then, you know, get another one. That's my view. I, I, I don't have time to do, like, the swap pickups in and out and test it and see what I think. And, you know, it's just not me. Sure. If I don't like a guitar, I get rid of it. Sure. I've seen um I've seen you playing plenty of Les Pauls. Um, a lot of them have got really great paint jobs, by the way. I, I like the uh, – the Joel Hoekstra's 13 one you've, you're working on at the moment. That looks super cool. Oh, yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Is it the same story with those uh, those other Gibsons? You know, with uh, apart from the graphics, are they similar story? You keep those kind of stock? Uh, that, those are just, yeah, those are just regular USA Gibson uh, customs. Yeah. Uh, not USA Gibson, Gibson Custom Shops. Okay. Uh, but... Yeah, I had uh, Steve Christmas at the custom shop help me out with those two, and uh, I think it was—I forget who came up with the stencil job there. Anthony Bass, I think, okay. came up with the, uh, the the stencil design, and I had had those medallions made uh, at a mint that I wanted to have embedded in the guitars. That was kind of part of the plan. Awesome. Very, very cool. Very cool. Um, what else has been happening? So you uh, you had a, um, a run of shows with Cher over in, in Las Vegas earlier this year? Yeah, I I did two residencies with her in Vegas and one in National Harbor, which is in the Washington, D.C. area, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of out of left field, but I knew Whitesnake wasn't going to tour this year, so... I reached out to a bunch of my friends and said, you know, keep me in mind if there's anything. And uh, I ended up getting the call to sub on that. Okay. And uh, at what was initially going to be just one short run, actually, they needed me a little longer. So that worked out great because yeah, it nice. kind of filled the year for me. Yeah, cool, man. That's that's great. I saw some pictures of you playing um, on that gig. Um, you look like you're playing a Jackson. Is that a Phil Colin model? It is. Yeah, that's uh, Mike Tempesta at Jackson helped me out with that. Nice. Uh, and that's another one of the guitars with the sustainer in it. So that's yeah, great yeah. for TSO as well. You'll usually see me use that on that gig. Okay. Uh, and with Cher, you, it's, we, there was the, the cabinets were ISO cabs. So still kind of the same story. Even though okay. you're using real amps, the, the sustain isn't as great as it would be if you had the cabinet behind you Yeah. on the deck. So um, it's still nice to have that guitar like for the, the soloing end of things when I was working the stage with her and all that stuff. It's kind of nice to know a note's going to ring when you go to play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. That's cool. Now, going from your um, your most recent solo project, the Joel Hoax, just 13, um, it doesn't sound like you're running a lot of outboard gear in terms of, say, pedals or extra effects. Is, is that the no, case live as well? Yeah, the way it's been going lately. I mean, all my gigs have been straight ahead hard rock and yeah. – uh, that's been fine with me. I mean, I used to be the guy with a million gizmos, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the huge pedal board and all that stuff. So it's been kind of nice to get back to just plug and play aspect of it. Um, I mean, with Whitesnake, I do use delay and maybe a tiny bit of reverb in the in the loop, but uh-huh. uh, that's about it. And okay. like, I'm not even not really a big fan of chorus at all, the sound of chorus. So I I tend to shy away from that as it as it is. So. Uh, yeah, man, just kind of, you know, Les Paul into a Marshall kind of tone or, a you know, a Freedman and 
keep it simple. Yeah, great, man. Very cool. The um, yeah, I guess comparing your your earlier solo albums, as you said, like the instrumental with the sort of fusion influences. Um, although there's a lot of stuff on there as well. There's some there's some blues, there's some country tinge stuff. There's one track I can't remember the name, but it sounds like a like a demented circus act gone from Mars or something. It's crazy. Uh, that's got to be Fire Island, I'm sure. That's the one. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I ended up kind of writing the, the 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 circus melody over that progression. Loved it. Yeah. So good. You know, that was I wrote I wrote a bizarre progression there, a bizarre riff, and I was trying to figure out what the heck to play over it for a melody. And I thought the only thing that's really going to work is something kind of out there that you know <laughs> that all yeah. And I think it moved up a fourth. It's kind of like a a blues progression in an odd way. It, yeah. It's modulated yeah. like a blues progression would. Uh, so yeah, that. Uh, that was what I came up with for the melody. Nice. After the yeah. Where did all these influences come from? So when you were when you were starting out, what what kind of stuff were you listening to that that's kind of stuck? Uh, well, you know, I mean, all these uh, that conversation always needs to begin with that my parents were classical musicians. So okay. yep. you know, growing up in the house, there was always classical music, and so that helped me kind of get started. I mean, they they started me on cello at three and piano at seven, but wow. I didn't, you know, I didn't like it. Basically, I just I was like I was too young and I didn't really understand that you could eventually like music and you're playing music that you like. And uh, once I heard ACDC, that's when I wanted to play guitar. So that that's the the, the hard rock thing. Heavy metal is what yeah. got me into to doing this. OK, cool. uh, and cool. I kind of came full circle. So er, to answer your question more uh more directly, the uh, stuff that got me into it, ACDC, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, Iron Maiden, uh, Scorpions, you know, th- those were all kind of the, 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 the ones that I was wearing out when I was a kid. Okay. Awesome, man. Very cool. Oh, I've heard you mention um, another Australian player, Brett Garsard, uh, as an influence on some of your stuff. How, how did you uh, hear about him? Yeah, so his partner... Uh, on the instrumental albums he was making, T.J. Helmerich. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was one of my first guitar teachers. So oh, okay. T.J. and I met, I guess, when I was probably about 14. I started taking lessons from him. And he was just kind of starting the eight-finger thing at that time. Okay. So he was kind of who got me going on that. And so eventually he went out to GIT and, and started working at Cherokee Studios and met Brett. Mm-hmm. And by the time I went out there to go to GIT, which was a couple of years after TJ, um, you know, that I was able to meet Brett and hang out with him a little bit. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, I still think, you know, Brett's one of the greatest guitar players in the world. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I still idolize him. So uh, even back then, you know, you can imagine I was like 19 years old or something okay. like that. Yeah, when I was. Him. So, you know, yeah, he, him and TJ both had a, a big impact on me for sure. Nice, very cool. So that's um, now you were brought up on the east coast. Obviously, GIT is on the other side of the country. Did you 
after your time there, did you hang around or did you did you get back home? Uh, I hung around for one more year to work at Cherokee Studios. Mm -hmm. uh, so same thing, TJ kind of got me in there. He's like, I'll get you a job. And I was trying to stick it out out there, but I was kind of miserable, man. I, I wasn't making my living with the guitar. I didn't have the guitar in my hands. And that made me really bummed out. I didn't feel like I was on the right path. And I, I just thought, you know, it's going to be easier for me to go back to the Chicago area where I'm from and teach and play gigs. And I just want to do that right now. So I made the move back there and, um, you know, had a cool era of, of doing all that. Very busy teaching 70 students a week and playing gigs on weekends with my band or whatever bands I was in. And, mm -hmm. um, and then eventually the, all that led me to New York. It's like kind of a long story, but eventually I ended up going out to New York and, and, and that's been my home now for the last, gosh, almost 17 years. Cool. Now you did a very long run on the Rock of Ages production. Was that your first kind of big break or was that, was that your break into full-time playing? No, my full-time break into playing was when I moved to New York, and that was for a show called Love Janice. That was about Janice Joplin. So okay. um, in Chicago, it had run for like two months. So that this girl I was playing with in her band in Chicago, her name was Kathy Richardson. She got the the uh, role as Janice Joplin okay, yep. in that show. So when she was going to do it in New York, I you know asked in. She got me in as the guitar player, essentially, and... I thought, well, this will probably run two months. I put my stuff in storage, told my students, you know, I'll see you in a couple months. And, you know, it ended up running for two years. So by the time it closed, I, I was already, you know, full-time New Yorker. But that oh, experience did really help me understand how the Rock of Ages thing worked. And, uh, you know, when you're in New York, man, the theater world just finds you. You know, you end up getting theater gigs even if you don't want them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And Rock of Ages was a great experience for me. I mean, that was ran, you know, over six years and same deal. You know, I think when it started, we were like, what's this going to last like a month, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, six years later, it, it totally changed my financial reality and uh, led me to so many great things. Are you a great reader? Was that part of that gig initially, at least to learn yeah, stuff? At the very beginning, it was a, a little part of it. Um, I mean, I'm an okay, you know, I can read, but I, I'm, you know, I, I do so little of it on my gigs that I get super rusty and sure. uh, yeah. to the point where I, I'm not good at it. Um, but, you know, I basically, what happened is I have a friend who lives a couple blocks from me who does do all the pit stuff. Um, and he does a lot of reading and he, he asked me if I'd ever be interested in subbing for him on his shows. And I said, yeah. And, uh, I was kind of weary of it though. Cause I thought I'm not a great reader. He said, no, no, no. You know, here's the way it really works is that, you know, when you're a part of a rhythm section on a pit gig, they get you audio and you get to rehearse it at home for a few weeks before you even come in. So, okay. Okay. Uh, I said, okay, well that's good. Cause you know, as soon as I hear that, I always feel better about stuff. Cause I'll bust my ass to get anything together. You yeah, know? sure. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that's the one thing that's gotten me ahead really is, is I'll, you know, I'm the guy that'll go, all right, well, I guess I got to practice this 12 hours a day to get it together then, mm -hmm. you know? Um, even though it makes no financial sense. Um, but I, I subbed for him on a few shows, and the last one was the show Tarzan uh, that Phil Collins wrote the music for. Oh, okay. yeah. And, yeah. I mean, these were just pit gigs, you know? No one saw you or anything, but yeah. for me it was good because I was brushing up on my reading and getting my playing sharp and meeting people and 
And living in New York, you never know. Someday I might want to have a full-time pit gig. You know, it's not really anything I aspire to right now, but you never know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, uh, sorry for the long-winded answer. Eventually no, that great. led to Rock of Ages. Okay. Now, Rock of Ages was a little different, though. You weren't so much in the pit for that. You were rocking out on stage. Exactly. On stage, had speaking lines, had some choreography where, you know, I would, one, I had to fight with an actor, like hit him with the, the top of my guitar while I was playing a solo. <laughs> During another solo, you had, to, you had to flip the guy off. And, you know, so, I mean, it was uh, it, it was intense in that way. It was like uh, it, it totally different than other gigs. You know, it would, if you would have botched a solo or a part, um, they wouldn't have cared, but if you would have botched something like that, like standing in the right place at the right time okay. or saying the line, that would upset people, you know, greatly. So it's funny how the priorities shift on a theater gig like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And um, in terms of gear and stuff, would that be another um, direct sort of gig? Are you running like the XFX? Yeah, we, we started with amps on that, and that was kind of a poor choice, honestly, because as as you do something eight shows a week with no guitar tech, yeah. Uh, you know, and you're hung out to dry out there in front of an audience. If something goes wrong, they're not going to stop a show. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so eventually we thought, you know, this is thankfully we ended up changing theaters after about a year and a half of it. We moved uh, to a different theater and that gave us the opportunity to kind of press the restart button and do stuff that, you know, that we would we would have done if, we, you know, how, how they say hindsight is always twenty twenty. I mean, we were saying this, this was a mistake. We got tubes going bad on us and stuff like this, running these things, eight shows a week. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, sure. it, you just go, man, why didn't we just use a fractal? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, and it also was not really a gig where your guitar was that loud in the house for about 90% of it. You know, okay. it got loud a lot. So. It's not like, you know, Eric Johnson was going to be in the house critiquing what kind of nine-volt battery. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. It was kind of like, yeah, as they, I don't know if you've ever seen the show MASH, uh, yes. where they talk about, there's surgical style, there was meatball, meatball surgery. Meatball surgery, yes. Uh, Rock of Ages was meatball guitar. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you just want to give people like the 80s rock cliche stuff yeah. and have yeah. all the stuff work seamlessly, nothing go wrong, no technical problems. You know, that was the main goal. Not really like, you know, let me really tweak all of the, you know, my immaculate tone and yeah, everything like sure, that. Yeah, I mean, sure. you know, don't get me wrong. I think everything we played sounded fine. It, was, it wasn't like we were up there with bad tone, but yeah. it also was, it was an amazing tone either. Okay, sure. Now, I've heard that gig uh, led you to some stints with some other, you know, huge bands like Foreigner, and uh, eventually that helped you hook up with um, Night Ranger. Well, Night Ranger, I had joined before I was in Rock of Ages. So oh, okay. yep. that, that kind of came through playing with Jim Peterick back in the Chicago area. Jim is uh, the guy who uh, co-founded the band Survivor. Survivor he wrote yeah. Eye of the Tiger and all those songs. Yep. And yeah, Anyway, he's written a gazillion songs that you've heard of, like all those 38 special tunes, Caught okay. Up in You and Hold On Loosely. And he would have these events called World Stage. And where his friends would come and sing their hits and he'd have a house band and, uh, and of course, close with Jim's songs. And I was in that house band for a long time. And it was only, you know, once a year or twice a year or something like that. He'd have these events. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, anyway, that that is what led me to Night Ranger. Kelly, the Kelly Kagi, the drummer for Night Ranger, would do Jim's world stage events. So I got to okay. know him. And when they needed somebody, that's that's what got me in the door there. Um, and the foreigner thing 
was I think through them seeing me at Rock of Ages tour where Mick got sick, okay. I was actually uh, opening, opening for them with Night Ranger. Okay. So, yeah. So that's what led to me filling in for Mick Jones in Florida, if that makes sense. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Man, that's that's awesome. I might, I might ask you now. I've been saving this question, but you you work so hard. You, you pull off so many great gigs. What What's your advice for guitar players who want to make a full-time go of it, who might be you know, doing weekend weekend stuff. How how do you pull a, a full-time gig and how do you keep it? Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's how you do it. And, you know, you, you have to kind of have hopefully a little time to, to give yourself, you know, because I did and I, I look back on it and somehow think, how did I have faith in that and how did I get through that? Because I, I was struggling, but I didn't realize I was struggling, you know. Mm-hmm. It was like my decision was always that, I'm going to make a living doing this and the, whatever money I make is just gravy. You know, I think I just loved doing it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so you, you know, you get back what you put into it, the harder you work at it, the more you get back. And I do think that that is like, like we talked about earlier, I think that is what has gotten me ahead. It's not necessarily natural talent or, um, you know, being, uh, the best guitarist or being, you know, whatever the, it, even like, you know, uh, people say, oh, well, you're good on stage. It's like, no, it wasn't really that because I was always working even while I was kind of getting that together. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you just stay agreeable, stay humble, be on time, work hard, Yeah, you yeah. know, try not to you know, choose your battles wisely. It's like you don't want to be a complete wuss. But, you know, I'm usually about making other people happy in my band scenarios. You know, it's not about, you know, what's going to make me happy. I'm trying to make everybody else happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and make them want you want you around until you have that strength you know you don't have much yeah you know you got to have you got to be in demand right so to be in demand people got to want you they got to they got to want to be around you and have you around and that includes being an agreeable person not mm-hmm. just uh you know having some chops or something like that that just you know that's just a tiny part of it sure I've um I've interviewed a few people that uh that have worked with you people like um like Gretchen Men and Jude Gold and um Joe Elliott who introduced us actually and um yeah they've always said you yeah you're great to work with and fun to be around and um obviously that's a huge part of making a living in any in any uh, occupation I guess yeah definitely I, I absolutely one hundred percent and and it's the same I think in any profession like how how hard you work is what you get back. And, and I do really work hard, man. I mean, I, I'm productive every day with mm-hmm. what I do and it's not just, uh, you know, chops or it's not just, uh, you know, songwriting or it's not just networking. There's some people that overdo that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's a balance of all those things. You kind of got to find, find the balance and work all of it. Uh, but I definitely think that's, it, it comes down to a daily thing. You know, you need to ask yourself every day, was I productive and did I work harder than everybody else around me? And if the answer is yes, you know, you're going to be all right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that attitude. Um, speaking of Joe Elliott, uh, he did introduce us. How, how do you know Joe? Uh, so Joe, I met, actually, he was a teacher at, at GIT when oh, I okay. went there. GIT. And yeah, cool. uh, we didn't really, I mean, we got to know each other on that level back then, but more as friends through TJ then because TJ was playing with him on some gigs at okay. the Baked Potato and whatnot. Yeah. So when I was out in LA and touched base with TJ, I got, I got to hang with Joe a little bit more on a friendship level. 
Yeah, he's great. I love, I love his new record that, that came out earlier in the year. And um, yeah, great player. Actually, talking about TJ, I think he used TJ's um, legendary JCM 800 uh, almost exclusively on, on that last record. I think that amp has seen a lot of gigs. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can I talk about your your latest Joel Hoekstra record? Actually, Joel Hoekstra's thirteen. What's the differentiation? Why why the why the thirteen being added? Uh, well, I mean, when I started writing that, I kind of envisioned it being more like a band album, and I got the guys together, okay. and then you know, as things kind of developed, it was like, all right, this isn't going to be a band; it's going to be a project album, and um, it, it seemed weird for me once I had that music all recorded. That's more song oriented, yeah. and uh, more sounds more like a band to name it after me because people would be expecting a lot of guitar heroics and all yeah. that stuff. And there's really not a lot of that on there, you know. The solos are somewhat flashy in spots, but uh, so I, I, I basically was like, I, I got to give it a project name, and that way, if I want to do another album like that, which is a definite possibility, mm-hmm. um, it can be done under that banner. So, you know, I mean, it started out as David Coverdale's White Snake, right, or Richie yeah, Blackmore's, sure. Rainbow, right. So think yeah. of it like that in terms of Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. I mean, I'm not. Again, comparing myself on any kind of success level to Richie, but just in terms of where where I was coming from with Joel Hoekstra's 13. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. It's a great record. Um, As you mentioned about the guitar playing, um, the solos are very succinct. Yeah, we're often dealing with like a 16-bar solo, very uh, traditional, I guess, kind of rock, um, rock song, you know, vocal songwriting kind of an approach. That was the whole deal because, you know, here I'd had undefined out and the moon is falling and then uh 13 acoustic songs which was you know very mellow and almost easy listening but all those were instrumental you know and then my career kind of took off with the whole night ranger and and uh, white snake thing and and trans-siberian orchestra and rock of ages and i'd gotten all these fans that are more into hearing vocal songs you know like hard rock stuff and also i in each of those bands uh with night ranger i didn't get to write a whole lot yeah sure. and with white snake uh, you know i'd only done the purple album. i was kind of eager to show that i could write some songs too uh in that in that genre so that it was the natural fit you know and and to get a deal with frontiers and be able to release that worldwide and everything was fantastic like right while i was out on the first uh tour with white snake and so that was a it was a great step forward for me oh that's great I, uh, the words um vintage modern kind of sprung to mind as i've as i've been listening to it the um i think the opening tracks that say goodbye to the sun it, that sounds like it's in drop d flat to me sort of chugging along down low and um then there'll be other tunes like long for the day that are a little more straight ahead I wouldn't say classic rock, but that, you know, that kind of ballpark. I describe it as uh, Dio-ish at its heaviest and Foreigner-ish at its lightest. Okay. That's what I call it. Ah, nice. Yeah, cool. That's a cool word picture. Nice. And what was your approach to guitars on on that record? You, I guess, obviously using amps back in the studio Yeah, that's all the Friedman BE-100, the whole album. Yeah. And... Uh, my Gibson Gold Top Les Paul for almost all of it. Okay. I used my Black Custom on, I'd say, like, think of the heavier tracks, like Say Goodbye to the Sun and uh, Kill or Be Killed, which was a bonus track, Mm -hmm. or Dying to Live. Those were my Black Custom, the heavy songs. Okay.
There's um, some great 12-string textures on what we believe. What, what guitar do you pull out for that? Uh, that was a Taylor, uh, I believe. Uh, I, 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 I can't really remember the model number. I don't it, I don't think it was the 854 CE. It was my friend Tommy Kessler's, I think, that I used. And um, I think we maybe just mic'd it. And we didn't we didn't use a DI. I think okay. there I forget what the deal was, but yeah, cool. There you go. Sounds okay. great. And who's singing on that track? Because you've got the guys on um, on most of the record. Who's the, who's the female vocal on that? Yeah, it's this girl Chloe, uh, Chloe Lowry who sings with Trans Siberian Orchestra. She's amazing. Like, yeah, ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, oh, she's fantastic on that track. It's so good. Yeah, she's actually. I mean, truly an amazing vocalist. Really, really amazing. And there's a um, there's a crazy synth solo. Um, is that Derek Sherinian? Yeah, mm-hmm. Derek did all the keyboards on the whole album. Um, who else is playing on the record? It's such a killer lineup. Uh, so that's Vinnie Apice on drums and Tony Franklin on bass. And the singers are Russell Allen and Jeff Scott Soto. Yeah, fantastic. And then myself and, and Derek, who we mentioned. So, and then, you know, there's some other guests here and there, like Chloe's on the one song. And uh, But yeah, they, that's basically the lineup. Great. And amongst all your writing and all your gigs and stuff, do you, have you got time to write? for the next 13 project? Uh, I do. I mean, I, I, I can always have time. Yeah, I, I can always get it done. It's just a matter of whether or not, you know, Russell's been really busy, and that's kind of always been the, the holdup. Russell's, uh, you know, in Symphony X and also Adrenaline Mob, and, mm-hmm. and he does Trans-Siberian Orchestra with me as well. So, you know, the, he's in three bands. And so it's finding the time to, you know, where he could record it and potentially even do a little something with it for me. So, uh, but yeah, we're we're talking a little bit more about that right now, uh, about trying to figure out how to get that done. And then it's also the business end of things from Frontiers, you know, getting okay. the right offer and all that stuff. Sure, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, as usual, it looks like the next uh, fairly considerable chunk of time you've got locked in with the Trans Siberian tour, and then the White Snake record coming out. Um, I assume you're going to tour uh, tour that record. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan, you know, it's supposed to be a big tour next year. So, um, you know, the way it could shape up, uh, it could be maybe a little share early on again. We'll see. I'm okay. not sure about that. Yeah. Uh, and then the White Snake Tour and then the TSO Tour at the end of the year. So 2018 could be a real monster year for me. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. Um, I'm guessing the, the best way for people to keep up with you is through your social media. So Instagram, um, you're on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you can they can link over to any of it from just going to my .com, which is uh, joelhoekstra.com. Okay. My name is difficult, I know, so I'll spell it J-O-E-L, Joel, <laughs> right? And then Hoekstra, H-O-E-K-S-T-R-A. Awesome. joelhoekstra.com, and then you'll see on the side there's a little link to any of the social media stuff, and people can go there and, and uh, say hello to me, and I'll always get back. 
Okay, that's fantastic. Well, Joel, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, all the best for what looks to be a super exciting uh, future. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Uh, you know, make sure to send me any links to this and I'll be sure to get it up. All right, there you go. My conversation with Joel Hoekstra, Sideman to the Stars and with an incredible solo catalogue as well. Super cool. The track you're hearing now is Gorilla Man, Gorilla Man 2000, in fact. <laughs> that is so good. There you go. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for your time. Thank you for wandering around and uh, getting the Wi-Fi sorted. Thank you to Joe Elliott for introducing me to Joel. And thank you to you. Thanks for listening and tuning into the Guitar Speak podcast. It's really my pleasure to bring these conversations with you. Don't go away. There's so much good stuff coming up coming up on the show. So be subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. Come and say hello to us on Facebook or Instagram. You can support us through Patreon. And uh, actually on Facebook, we also have the Guitar Speak Forum, which is a closed group where you can come and discuss any of the episodes and just anything guitar-wise going on in your world. We would love to hear from you and uh, have you join that group. All right, I'm going to let Joel take us out. I'll catch you next time on the Guitar Speak podcast. Bye now.